Hello and welcome to the Eating Disorder Therapist podcast. This is a podcast to help you find peace with food and overcome disordered eating. And I'm Harriet Frew, aka the Eating Disorder Therapist. And I'm so excited to be sharing with you all kinds of stories, tips, information and guest interviews to help you on your journey in finding peace with food. So thank you so much for listening today. Now today I have another guest on the podcast and I am speaking to JL Keys, who is all the way from Adelaide in Australia. JL is a mother, partner, teacher, speaker, reality therapy certified coach and soon to be author. Now JL has recovered from anorexia nervosa and other health conditions including suicidal depression, chronic fatigue, debilitating migraines, OCD and depersonalization. So she's been on a real journey with her healing. JL has made a full recovery and has been in a good place for many years. And she has now created Anorexia Unlocked, which is an online resource where she shares her learning, her teaching, and has put that together in a package which can be used by other people and accessed all over the world. And she's also soon to be releasing her book. So that's all very exciting. So with JL's approach, she has a strong belief that understanding our life story and the connections with our relationships and the influence on our development all has a great impact in our mental well-being and how we sort of grow up and how we experience our lives. So I'm really interested to be hearing more about what JL has to say and to understand her approach better. So let's get to the interview. Hi there, JL, and thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Oh, that's great. Thank you very much for having me, Harriet. I'm really excited to share my time with you. Oh, thank you. So, JL, could you tell us a bit more about who you are and what you do? Yes, certainly. Before I begin, though, our discussion, I'd really like to sincerely thank you for including me within your podcast series. Since connecting with you, only recently I'm learning that you provide a wealth of knowledge for those experiencing difficulty with eating disorders. And I've certainly learned a lot from knowing you in the short time that I have. So I'm very honoured to be given this opportunity to contribute to what you are doing. I am JL Keys from Adelaide, Australia. And I've experienced anorexia nervosa for nine years from the age of 15 to 24. And then I followed on with many more years of experiencing associated illnesses stemming from the damage that I inflicted on myself during that time in the form of chronic fatigue, debilitating migraines, depersonalization, suicidal depression and OCD. I'm now a certified reality therapy counsellor an ex-home economics secondary school teacher, and I'm currently enjoying being the director of JL Keys Anorexia Unlocked, my online business for clients experiencing eating disorders. I'm also an author and very proud of the book that I've written and is about to be launched in November. It's titled Anorexia Unlocked, Understanding Your Story Through Mine. I write inspirational poetry and quotes, which I feature throughout the work that I do also. And although eating disorders are the base of the work I pursue, I'm also passionate about the topic, how we relate impacts, which I was invited to address at a reality therapy seminar here in Australia a few years ago. And the response I received on that day demonstrated to me an absolute need for this knowledge across our globe. 
So that's probably central to the work that I do is really looking at how we relate as individuals and how that impacts our growth and development. And finally, I'm a mum to two adult children who are my greatest allies who provided me with the strength to uh, fight for recovery. So that's who I am. Thank you so much for sharing. Sounds like you've got like a wealth of experience and knowledge to bring today, JL. So thank you. I really appreciate you coming on. So JL, you've been on your journey in overcoming issues with food and body image. Could you tell us a bit more about this journey? Yes, certainly. And I think to best answer this area, I feel it might be beneficial to provide just a little bit more background regarding who I am. So I was born onto a farm here in South Australia, Australia, and I lived there for the first five to six years of my life. And I was one of four children. And during my healing years in my 30s, I would find that this was a pivotal time, those first six years. There was a lot of childhood damage, which was at undertaken during that time or endured rather and suppressed until I was in my 30s and really impacted my growth and development. At the age of six, I then shifted with my family to Adelaide, where I currently live, and my father had decided to join the religious ministry. And having done so, that resulted then in a very nomadic lifestyle once he completed his studies. As a result of this, I attended many different schools where I experienced a lot of bullying. I was a very high achiever. I was compelled to be the best as well. I was a top athlete and vocalist, and I was very unpopular, lonely, and rejection was certainly the theme of my life. I experienced an extremely controlled and limiting upbringing based on religious beliefs, perfectionism, and being the best within the eyes of society. So my authentic self was certainly very squashed right from birth, really. So it wasn't surprising then at the age of 15 that anorexia nervosa developed, although at that time there was no knowledge or real knowledge about eating disorders and why they existed or even that they did exist. So what did I do at this time? I didn't count calories and I didn't stand on the scales. I simply ruled out all the foods I saw as fattening. And although the foods included were deemed healthy, in my view, the amount was not enough to sustain my athletic pursuits and nor my day-to-day life. So I found myself changing in energy levels and changing in what I could and couldn't do. The only thing that really maintained in my life at that point was my A standard. Somehow I managed to keep that going. So as I said, at this time, I simply ate the foods I calculated as acceptable and about once a week, the hunger would be so bad that in the absence of anybody else viewing this, I would binge on any foods that were available to me. Usually, this would be triggered off if I was in a social setting or a group where a buffet-style meal was being prepared and served. So I can recall many times when I would just stash food away into my bag or just eat a lot of food on the spot and hopefully hoping that no one would notice. So I can remember on one occasion having six smallish sort of fruit pies all in one sitting as well as all the other food that was there to be eaten. Yeah, so that was basically what I was doing in terms of food. I was leaving out a lot of what I saw as undesirable food, eating what I saw as desirable, and then about once a week, stuffing myself with whatever I could get my hands on. 
This always then resulted in the following day fearing I never threw my food up. I kept it in my body and somehow my poor little body processed it through. But the next day I would vow and declare I'd never do this again because I just felt so ill for the next 24 hours. Looking back now, the triggers for consuming large quantities of food came from hunger rather than an emotional point of view at the time. During the anorexic years, my measure of acceptance was being flat from hip to hip. I did not use scales, as I said before. Instead, I used to look in the mirror and assess myself on looks and my acceptability on what I was looking like. I also lived a life where if I thought anyone was rejecting me, I would immediately stop the associated behaviour. For example, I can remember in my early adult years being in a social setting and I came out from the quiet person that I was and I made a joke or something and I saw what I thought was a disapproving look from a male in the group, so immediately I stopped the behaviour and went back into my shell again. So looking back now, I can acknowledge that I was constantly on alert judging the responses of others and moulding myself to fit accordingly, and I had become a very clever chameleon. This resulted, of course, in completely losing my identity, and the fear of rejection ran so deep, and somewhere in me I thought that acceptance would eventuate on how I looked and how I changed that part of myself, but it never really worked. I did marry then at the age of 22, and that was when my world really deteriorated. And the marriage wasn't the reason, my health was. I shifted then when I got married again and went to Melbourne, which is another capital here in Australia. And I lived near an ammunition factory. And the first year I was there, I got the flu very, very badly. And colleagues that I was teaching with at the moment, I think very kindly, were trying to get me to see that I wasn't normal in terms of my health and how I was living. So I started to see psychiatrists at that point and they simply put me in hospital and demanded I put on weight and take medication. At that time, slowly I restored the weight, but it was in a very controlled way. And I very quickly learned how much I could consume and main- to maintain my weight and the shape that I desired. Gradually, over time, I came to realise that I was able to actually consume quite a lot of food without consequence. And so I was now including a wide range of foods back into my daily diet each day. But I had, because I was a teacher of food and nutrition, I actually had developed quite an interest in this area of my life. And that remains with me today and has become a part of my everyday lifestyle, really. And I absolutely love and enjoy it. So in a way, that's a positive that's come out of having an eating disorder. Looking back now, what I realised didn't happen for me when I was going through what I thought was the healing process at the time was that I never explored the whys or assessed the hows of my eating disorder. And I strongly believe that's why, even though I restored the weight, the associated illnesses then came into play. I was still, I continued to blindly research for answers and sought assistance from far too many modalities and naturopaths or healers or anyone that was brought into my pathway that I would, I thought would be able to assist me in providing answers. Another really bad turning point for me was my pregnancies. I began to develop OCD and this was a huge downfall. I had to give up work. The depersonalisation was horrendous. 
the tiredness was extreme and the migraines I experienced were two days of excruciating pain. So, for example, with the OCD, if someone said to me, you know, you need three dozen cloth nappies because we used them back in my day, uh, three dozen cloth nappies, then I wouldn't be able to sleep until I bought those nappies, washed them and folded them and put them in the nursery. So for those next, next nine months, apart from being very, very ill and being very sick every morning, OCD became a part of my life during that time. So I went through that twice with two pregnancies and then it was decided that as a family we would return to Adelaide and I would go to the weight disorder unit at Flinders Hospital here in Adelaide as an outpatient. And I really went along to those sessions in the hope that I would finally find what was going on with my body and be able to heal. Unfortunately, the opposite actually happened. The psychiatrist that I got was a male and he didn't listen to any of my story or anything about me. He did the same process as before, just wanted to put me on medication and letting me know that, you know, once the balance through medication was achieved, that all of these illnesses would magically disappear. Well, that didn't happen. And I ended up in hospital for about 10 days as an inpatient at that stage. And at that stage, When I went into hospital, I thought, I don't need to be here. There was that little voice inside that said, you don't really need to be here, JL, but there is purpose to you coming and being in this place. So I went along with it and there certainly was purpose. And I could see years down the track once I'd healed the purpose of that. And I met many people. I had a lot of discussions and I heard a lot of stories. And I came away from that realising that the healing of eating disorders unless you're really, really bad and you, you, know, you haven't got much weight on you, then yes, you need to be hospitalised. But if you can maintain a certain level of weight and be able to live a certain lifestyle and stay at home, then I think it's best to heal in, in your home environment. And I learnt that and I saw a lot of other things which I won't go into detail here. So that was a very, very valuable time, even though I didn't heal. By this stage, fear had taken over. I was fearful of what people thought and said about me, that no one liking me. If my children mucked up, it was all my fault. No one would like us. So it's fear of judgment and criticism and being laughed at and making mistakes was a huge fear. And the fears just seemed to grow and grow daily at this time in my life. Looking back now, they're the indicators. They're the sorts of things that my psychiatrist should have asked me about and tunneled through and looked at with me, but that never happened So fear was certainly the basis for my perfectionism at that point in time. So where do I go from here? So then what happened then to finally bring me out of it was that unfortunately my marriage folded due to all the fear that I was living with. And at that time, a female psychologist was recommended to me and I went to see her, not for me, but for the children to make sure that they went through this process as seamlessly as they could. And at the end of my first session, she felt that my ex-husband and I were doing a pretty good job with the children, but she wanted to talk to me. And I just thought, oh, I don't think I can talk about me anymore. But it was the best decision that I made because she introduced me to reality therapy underpinned by choice theory and my healing finally began. So I think I've answered all of that question now. 
it was a pretty long one. I apologise. <laughs> yeah, well, no, thank you, GL, you know, just JL, for just talking us through that because I think as well it shows, you know, I think there's so many things there to pick up on really, but, you know, it sounds like, you know, things that happened to you very, uh, very early on in life that perhaps, you know, just weren't dealt with, or, you know, you didn't get any support with that you know, those things became very buried, didn't they? And, you know, caused you to sort of be in a kind of constant state of fear and stress and, you know, not knowing who you were, not kind of knowing how to sort of deal with your emotions or you were kind of survival, in survival mode, weren't you? And it sounds like sort of the anorexia and then and the other kind of things that you're experiencing as well. You know, the anorexia, I guess, was a kind of coping strategy, wasn't it? Sort of through some of that, but then it created you know more problems and it just sounds like you were just in such a difficult cycle really I guess for a for a long time where as well you were trying to find solutions perhaps more through the kind of symptom focus weren't you and you said you were kind of given medication and but the thing that was often missing was really looking at the why and like understanding your story and helping you to start to piece those bits together that's exactly right. And it wasn't until, and this lady's name was Joan, and it wasn't until I met Joan that that line of thinking or inquiry was even presented to me. I think anorexia back then was seen as a chemical imbalance within the body. And once we can put the chemicals back in, it'll all be right. But certainly by meeting Joan and beginning to look back over my story and beginning to look at my life, I was able to discover many, many whys as to why anorexia nervosa followed by suicidal depression and those other illnesses turned up in my life. They were all illnesses that were screaming at me to say, look, there's something buried very deep here, something in your psyche that needs to be looked at and needs to be resolved for you. So the traumas of having been sexually abused, as well as growing up in a very religious controlled upbringing where there was a lot of abuse going on as well, and that was verbal and physical abuse, I began to see the damage that that had done to my growth and my development, and then ultimately my health. So yeah, that was that was what finally did it for me and by giving me some understanding and some knowledge I was able then to tease it out tunnel through each of the issues and begin to change my life and to restore it back to normality yeah Mm. so can you tell us JL a bit more about this kind of turning point in starting to you know really begin the sort of real recovery yes certainly I'd love to I've already mentioned that I was divorced, but I'll just step back a little bit. Towards the end in the last year of my marriage, my then husband had applied for a job in Darwin, which is the north of Australia here. So I'm moving you all across our country today. (laughs) And we went up to Darwin and I lasted about nine months. It was like going into a tremendously difficult situation. I was already fear-driven. It was like going into a very different, out of Australia and somewhere else. And my son in particular, my eldest child, really suffered with bullying and being picked on in the school up there. So I actually began to homeschool him. And that was when my marriage sadly came to its conclusion. And because we'd kept our home back in Adelaide, I came home with the children in the June of the following year. And so, as I said, that was then when I met Joan and that was the beginning turning point of looking at and assessing my life and what I was doing with it and why I was so fear-driven and what had brought that about. 
But another turning point at that stage was I was having a cup of tea one morning with a friend while the children were at school and we were discussing our lives and how we saw them and we were aligning with both living in fear and trying to work out why this was our life. And uh, she asked a question at the time and the question was, JL, do you think there was something that happened that has seen you turn out this way? And maybe it's happened to me as well, I don't know. And immediately I flew under the table and hid and it just shook. Mm -hmm. And when I sort of settled down, I came back and I looked at her and she said, I think there might be something underneath all of this. Mm -hmm. And that's when I said, I think you might be right. And that was the first time that I acknowledged there is more to this eating disorder and more to all of these illnesses than just a body gone wrong because I didn't feed mm. it properly for nine years. I mean, that certainly contributed, but there was obviously something else. That then resulted in having a conversation with my mother and I came away from that very, very puzzled. Some things already weren't beginning to add up and make connections. And because I was working with Joan, I was beginning to grow in the knowledge that my developed behaviour, my thinking, my emotional state and my physical symptoms were all indicators as to what was really going on for me. Another turning point, I could see that I was beginning to impact my children and I was learning now about patterns and threads in my own life and I could see that I was passing those patterns and threads on to my children and I certainly didn't want to do that. In mixing with my family, now that I was back in Adelaide again, I was becoming very, very aware and very astute at looking at the dynamics of how we all related at family gatherings. And I was starting to highlight a few bits and pieces from my own story and start to make sense of things as well. So they certainly contributed. I also began dreaming, if people believe in that. I had very, very strong dreams, dreams that when I would wake up, I'd sort of have to look around me and say, look, where am I exactly? And when I would recall those dreams or talk about them, I'd get very emotional and very upset. So my dreams actually became a very core part of learning about my story and my past. Mm. And I got a lot of information through that medium. And that might sound a little weird. It certainly did to me at the time when I was living this, but it happened over a period of time and it was always true. I always, whatever I dreamed, the truth of it would come about through a conversation down the track or something happened that I knew that I could rely on the information I was getting through that medium as well. So, yeah, what was the original question? Oh, the turning point. Yeah, just a lot of awareness, I guess, in once I knew about reality therapy and choice theory, just the awareness that that gave me and also the knowledge of what to actually look at, to begin to look at my wants and my needs and my belief system and my value system and how out of line the authentic me was with how I was actually living. So, yeah, I think that mm. answers your question. Yeah. Mm. And of course, I was very, very tired. I was very depersonalized and living this huge fear. Oh, and that's right. I Another turning point, the other one was sitting down and finally owning up to a dear friend at the time. And our children went to school together. And I just broke down. I said, I'm done. I can't live like this anymore. I need to share with somebody what I'm doing. And mm. I'd known Julia for a long time. 
son at her wedding. And so I felt I could confide in her and her not judge me. And it was through that conversation that I realised that I certainly approached life in a very different way to the norm. So it was all of these indicators and these points that saw me really want to overcome those issues. Mm. Yeah. Sure. And I think it just demonstrates, doesn't it, kind of the, the healing power in those relationships. Because I guess your relationship with Joan and with those couple of good friends as well, where you were actually able to open up and be your authentic self and you felt that you could trust them. It sounds like, you know, being able to have those conversations really were, you know, enabled a powerful shift, didn't it? And, you know, a massive increase in awareness for you. Well, it certainly did because you've brought that word trust into it. And when you have the sort of background, this is what I was beginning to learn, when you've been abused to the degree that I was, trust just goes out the window and you carry that mistrust with you all through your life and you really start mistrusting everybody. So yes, the right people were brought in at that time in the form of Joan and Julia and my other friend, Vicky. They were certainly very trusted friends that I knew I could tell them, look, I think I'm a bit dippy, I'm turning into a bit of a loon. And they wouldn't judge me, they would just listen and then, you know, give back feedback to me, which was very, very valuable at the time and really helped me begin to get back to who I was as well, because they were authentic people. And Mm. I could rely on. So yeah, exactly what you've just just mentioned. Yes. Mm, sure no the power of relationships of trusted relationships and it also sounds as well as that you were just completely done with living that way you know like you said like seeing the impact perhaps on your children of just feeling so tired of being fear driven all the time you know almost you just you just completely got to the end of that road and you were just weary and exhausted from it yes I was at the absolute end of my tether and because by this stage, OCD had been my life for several years and it was really driving me nuts. But also the suicidal depression had come in that sort of began to develop with the changes in my pregnancies. And that had now been around for a very long time. And I didn't want to wake up in the night, go to bed feeling fine and wake up in the night in the depths of suicidal depression and find myself walking I had two acres at the time. So I'd go out and I'd just walk the two acres for an hour or two and just want everything to end and everything to finish. And then I'd eventually go back to bed and I'd wake up fine. So that period of depression at night was just getting way too much for me to cope with. The migraines were getting way too much. And I was missing out on life. I, was, I didn't have a social life because I couldn't commit to it. So mm. there were a lot of very good reasons for me to, to really get this sorted out and get back on track. But in answering addressing that here it was my two children you know I could see that if I didn't do something about myself their life wasn't going to be a very good life and I certainly didn't want that for them so they were really my driving force behind Mm. wanting to heal finally oh (laughs) it makes a lot of sense so and what was your journey then to working and supporting others and you know doing the really great work that you're doing today At the beginning of last year, so 2019, I actually attended, there's a group of women in Perth, so now we're the other side of Australia, Mm. they're called Fempire, the Fempire Academy, and they're a group of women, um, Marnie Lefebvre has set it up, 
and they are a coaching group for women in business. And they happened to be here in Adelaide last year in April, I think it was, and doing a free presentation. So I thought, look, I'm going to go along and just see what this is all about because I was thinking of perhaps getting out of teaching and going into a business of some, some sort and I thought this might be a good place to start. So I did speak, I went to the seminar or that morning and I spoke to Marnie afterwards and she said, well, what's the business you'd like to pitch? And I said, look, my real passion is getting people to become aware of how we relate really impacts and impacts growth and development and how we speak to each other and treat each other. And we had a bit of a chat about it. And she said to me, I think, you know, there's a really good business idea in this. And then she, we talked about me being, having, you know, an having had anorexia and she said how about starting with that and I said "Mm, I think that would be a good idea so between April and then October when Fempire came back to Adelaide and did a three three day seminar for about 23 of us all wanting to pursue different businesses but sitting and talking with those beautiful women there I could see that there really was a need for what the idea that I had And then I went off and I had a look into what was available for eating disorders in this day and age. And I found some disturbing statistics, which I'm sure you would have similar, you know, in the UK. And when you realise that here in Australia, about 4% of the population have eating disorders, you know, and a range of different classifications, and they're both male and female, and mortality rates are high, and suicidal rates are high, and it is a really serious mental illness. And I've had, I have all this wealth of information, everything I've done. So I think I should be sharing it with people mm. and assisting other people. So it all sort of formulated from there. And I could also see in beginning to navigate and look around at what was on offer for people that there was a lot of brilliance going on out there and a lot of wonderful support and help going on. But I felt that there was some gaps and this gap of how we relate impacts and I guess I'm drawing that from my own experience and an experience as a teacher as well and seeing my different students and seeing fear in my students at school and then meeting parents and seeing where it comes from and that lack of awareness that hang on how you're treating each other is actually setting up the outcome that's happening for you here so it did stem from there I also had set up a Facebook group called The Invisible Room with Views, and it's still there. I still draw on it for things on my Instagram post today. So if you want anyone wants to go and have a look, they can find out a bit more about me there. I this was a page that I set up to share my poetry, my wisdoms, and I was encouraged to do this by friends around me. And then I was encouraged to write my book. And in doing so, I then had wanted some people to read it and give me some feedback and the people that read it for me were some people who didn't know me before and others who have known me throughout the period of my life and that certainly conveyed to me a need for this information to get out there as well. So as a result of all of that encouragement I sat down and I thought well how can I do this? What can I do? What can I sort of bring to the table that might be mildly, you know, helpful. And I thought to go online because I think a lot of things go online these days and it might be a good place to start. And I'm going to read it out here because I wrote it down and I don't really want to miss anything. So I hope that's okay with the listeners today, just explaining why I chose to do it online initially. 
The decision to create an online opportunity came about as a result of acknowledging the need to support those who are unable, perhaps due to distance or to access quality assistance, or for those still un unsure of their situation and they're searching for answers, but they're not quite ready to go and speak to somebody yet. So I've hopefully set up a solid place to start. Or financially, they might be in a position where they can't afford and they can't see a way to confidently move forward toward recovery. So an online experience might be a good place for them to start as well. I also support the idea that taking responsible action towards your own healing empowers one to feel they can indeed be the leader in their own life and capable of owning their current health status and being able to collect knowledge sort through the collection and at least begin the healing journey from a base of being self-guided in a way and me being self the by putting online they can also return to the pages at any time and refresh their memory about what it is that they're learning so they can consolidate their knowledge i've also created it in a very personal way and eating disorders are very very personal and very individual so I'm hoping that as people go on there and do it, they can feel me beside them as they're going through it and feel connected to explore this. So yeah, by doing online, as I said, the clients are taking responsibility, they're connecting the dots and they're designing their own pathway, which I think is really important when you're healing from any illness, but we're talking about eating disorders primarily today. So that's mm. sort of what took me onto this path of designing what I have designed. Yeah. Mm, it sounds fantastic. I think more and more people are looking for online solutions, aren't they? And I think particularly with the pandemic as well, it's kind of pushed us all much more in that direction as well. Um, JL is one, I believe on your website as well, you have a sort of free kind of guide as well, don't you, that gives people sort of an introduction and taster to, to, to your approach. Is that right? Yes, I do. Yeah, regarding the online opportunity I've created, I feel the best fit for the listeners today or anyone, you know, starting out would be to begin with that free program. And I've called it Anorexia Unlocked, Discovering Your Whys, as I see this as a wonderful starter program designed to step clients through a process of self-discovery and understanding while providing a strong knowledge base as to what an eating disorder is all about. So I do try and encompass all areas that are impacted so that by the time they get to the end, they have a, you know, almost a total understanding of the different areas that need to come into play that they need to learn about and grow through so that they can heal. And this free program is then foundational to then the three part, the main program, which I called Anorexia Unlocked, Exploring Your Eyes, Assessing Your House and Designing Your Outs, as well as the other programs written to fully support the entire healing journey. So, yeah, thank you for acknowledging that and bringing it up. Yeah, and I just think that would be a really, really great place for anybody to start who's wanting to weigh themselves through, how do I do this thing called healing from an eating disorder? Yeah. Mm. Well, thank you, JL, because it, it sounds like, you know, such a fantastic resource. And I love the way that I can imagine if I was doing it, actually, I would be really feeling you alongside because you've obviously done that deep work, haven't you? And I think you have that real empathy and understanding of what it's like to be in some of those very dark places. But there's also there is light, isn't there, at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, you have faced a lot of dead ends but you've also come out the other side 
and you are in the you know as we all are in the process of healing um, yes that's right and I guess the other thing that I'd like to add, just as you were saying that it came to mind, that throughout the programs that I have written, I do share parts of my story to support the text that I'm giving or the information I'm getting to sort of give them a view of, okay, this is the text and this is how it relates to real life. And I do put a lot of my poetry and inspiration through it as well. So it's sort of a user-friendly, sit down, let's have a chat, let's look at what's happening for you type outline and I've done it deliberately like that in a hope to see people be able to relate and feel quite comfortable and confident in what's unfolding on the screen for them so yeah Mm, sure and I guess that sounds like obviously for you the relationship part is so key isn't it and it's been such an important part of your healing journey so it seems just really natural and appropriate that you would be sharing some of that I guess to sort of add and support to that process Yes, and I think you're picking that up and probably, hopefully, the listeners are as well. As I said before, my main core of what I'm doing is for is to really encourage people to look at the relationships that they're in and the impact that they're having and perhaps the changes that would that need to come into play so that eating disorders or any other mental illness doesn't eventuate. It's an area of education, I think, that's lacking across the globe. And I'd really like to highlight it and bring it to the foreground. As I said, when I spoke about it uh, a few years ago, it certainly brought a lot of tears into the room and a lot of conversation around this particular topic. So I'm glad that you've picked up that that's my main bent and the thing that I bang on about, Harriet. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you, though. I think I I kind of believe that, too. I think relationships are fundamental, aren't they? And I, I just think of my own recovery and relationships have been so integral to that as I got to know you through your Instagram posts and your stories and, and through listening to your other podcasts. And I only said to my partner today, I said, I think this Harriet from the UK and I are on the same page. We think very alike because you've, you've done recent things on emotions and their contribution and your thinking and the power of thought. And that's what I go on about. And I think we're very aligned, you know, along that line of, of healing and that contribution to us healing as well. So yes, agreed. So, JL, you um, use poetry a lot, don't you, as, you know, a way of creative expression, as part of the healing process. And I know that there's a poem um, that you maybe wanted to share. Would you like to do that for us? Yes, I would like to do that. This is something that happened to me towards the end of my healing. All of a sudden, I just wanted to write poetry. I would get one line and next thing I'd write the whole poem. I remember I wrote 12 in one day once it drove me nuts. And I was going to bed, it was about 11 o'clock at night. I got this line and I went, no, no more, no more. But I knew I had to write it. And actually that one's called Enter Stage and it's in my book and it's my favourite one. But this is the one that I think is pertinent for what we've been discussing here on your podcast today, Harriet. And it's called When a Child is Born. When a child is born, marvel at the beauty, be intrigued by who they will be, nurture the needs as they present, watch for indicators as to what will be defining characteristics, attributes, interests, likes, dislikes, personality traits. Get excited that you are the privileged one witnessing this soul progress. Support the inherent aspects that together complete this child unconditionally accept. Do not demand, scold, condemn, disapprove, criticise. 
Instead, gently show them the way with loving approval. Help them celebrate the uniqueness they represent. Allow them to fall down and learn. Their strength will grow from here. Do not call them naughty. How do they know? Guide this child to know. And when the child is all grown up, be glad you know who they are, not who you made them be. Mm. And for me, that supports a lot of what we've been talking about in regards to relationships and the impact relationship has on growth and development. And I guess that one came about from my own story, but also watching my children. I went through a huge turnaround in the way I parented when I went into choice theory. And thank goodness I did, because I don't think I'd know my children today. I was a very controlling. I was repeating the pattern and my children would have been either turning to drugs or gambling or becoming alcoholics or certainly not wanting to have anything to do with their controlling mothers. So I really dedicate that to my two children. Thank you for letting me share it. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for sharing that. I think just, yeah, it's just lovely. It gives me goosebumps to hear it. And I really appreciate, JL, just your honesty and openness because you've obviously come on, on a very long journey, haven't you? And I think, you know, I have huge respect for you, the fact that you have really done some very hard work because these are not easy things to change but you have obviously, you know, gone in wholeheartedly and been really committed. And, you know, I'm sure your children must be incredibly proud of you today, that journey you've walked. Yeah, I think they are. I haven't talked a lot about all of this with the children, but they certainly, I mean, they saw their mother, you know, struggling a lot when they were little children. And as I've gotten older, I think I tried also to hide a lot from them particularly once they went to school, they didn't see the mother that they had at home that had to use the walls to walk or the fence, you know, to get from one space in the yard to the next or inability to get out of the car and, and walk inside. Sometimes it would take me an hour just sitting in the car to get up the strength to just walk to the back door. So it's those sort of behaviours that my children wouldn't certainly wouldn't know about. They will if they read my book, they'll know it all then. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, fear is a tremendous debilitator and that was certainly what happened to me. And it is a difficult thing to turn around, but I encourage your listeners to look at the fears and overturn them because life is waiting on the other side. Mm. Yeah. It's such an encouraging and powerful message. So thank you so much, JL, for sharing. Let me just move on to a lighter note just for the last three questions. Because yeah. um, the listeners are always intrigued <laughs> by these questions as well. So could you tell us, please, what would your last supper three-course meal be? Well, I've come to really like gnocchi, and even though that's probably not a traditionally an entree for a meal, I really like gnocchi. And then for my main meal, it would be a vegetable lasagna with a nice crisp salad of some sort. And then I'm a bit of a cheesecake buff, so I would have that <laughs> with berries. Lovely. That would be it. And I'd have a lot of green tea. Green tea with it as well. <laughs> <laughs> and do you have a favourite quote or mantra? I don't have it from some anywhere else. I have it from me. And I guess it's the one that supported me through my days of healing because it was what I really had to work on. And it just goes, I am loved and liked for who I am. Mm. Yeah, and I, I still that. use that mantra just. I feel myself becoming a bit disconnected or a bit disconcerted with something that's happened that just comes into mind. I'm loved and liked for who I am. 
Mm. Yeah. So back to that kind of really being authentic, isn't it? And, you know, being in touch with your getting your identity back, isn't it, really, of who you are and your deepest values and being able to live your life in that way. That's right. Absolutely. And can you tell us about something about you that may surprise us? I've already probably alluded to it. There's a couple of things that come to mind. I referenced earlier in our conversation the power of dreams, and that's something that not a lot of people know about, about me. Be real. If I want to know something or get an answer, I just ask and they play out in my dreams. I actually dream about other people and their lives and what's happening for them. And I certainly, that was very, very powerful through my main healing years to the point that my son <laughs> would get a bit upset. He'd look at me sideways and say, mum, do you already know? And I'd have to feign it sometimes and make out that I didn't know, but I knew all of his results, his year 12 results, his guitar results. I knew every result that he got because I would see them in my dreams so that's something that I don't mm. share with a lot of people and I'm taking I guess here today because I think people look at you sideways a bit and I would have been one of those sideways lookers at one stage mm. but the power of dreams and particularly source of information in healing I mm. just support wholeheartedly sure well, thank you for sharing that so that's yeah, that's all right. And the other one is I have a tattoo on the inside of my right arm and it's a symbol of healing and then JL embedded in it as well. And I did that as a sign of my healing going through and coming out the other end. Mm. So there you go. You don't know that. You can't see me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And um, where can people find you, JL, if they want to look you up? People can find me on my website, which is www i don't think we really say that these days but jl keys and keys is k double z and i say that because some people put an s or they put a y s or whatever so it's jlkeys.com.au i do have a blog site on that as well with a lot of inspirational writing i guess instagram is jl keys anorexia unlocked I have a business Facebook page, JL Keys Anorexia Unlocked. We've got a theme going on here. <laughs> and a private Facebook, Anorexia Unlocked Clients. So, And then my book will be available through Amazon probably sometime in November. So that's how people can connect with me and learn more about me if, you know, they think I could be of benefit to them. Mm. So, yeah, that's it. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Dale, for coming on the podcast today and for sharing your story and, you know, that your journey, I think, is such an encouraging and inspiring message that you're giving out. And I know it's going to help many people to listen to this. And I'm sure many people will also want to find out more. So thank you very much. No, thank you, Harriet, for the opportunity. I really, I honestly really, really appreciate it. And I'm really enjoying getting to know who you are. And I love all your Instagram stories and that because they're so creative. So I always look forward to seeing them. So hopefully we'll have an ongoing association. <laughs> oh, thank, <laughs> thank you, you so JL. Much. And a lot of Percy Pig kind of stories recently. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> So I hope you enjoyed this podcast interview just as much as I did. And do go and check out JL's details in the show notes. If you're not following me already, do seek me out on Instagram at The Eating Disorder Therapist. And for weekly blogs to your inbox, do sign up at rethinkyourbody.co.uk. Thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to sharing another podcast episode with you very soon.